everybody, and welcome to the News Paste podcast. I'm Johnny Vedmore, your host, and I'm here today with a man who makes me very excited because he's very much like me. Um, you can find him at iandavis.com. Am I giving away who he is? Yeah. He used to be uh, in this together, I believe, um, once upon a time, but I got too much. So you've just gone by his name like I did with johnnyvedmore.com, but now I've gone off and I've set up my own news paste, and I am happy to announce that some of his articles are already available uh to to find on newspaper the links to them so you'll read the first paragraph and then be taken off to wherever the the article does lay and he has articles all over the place everywhere from unlimited hangout um to uh uk column geopolitics and empire of course he also writes books uh on his third now which i'm very excited because eventually this guy is going to be able to tell me how to write a book because i i you know i've had some, a little bit of experience here or there but there's a few books um that i've been interested of course ian davis how are you oh, i'm very well thanks johnny thanks very much for having me on my advice to you is if you're thinking about writing a book is don't write a book <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah talk about, talk about sucking up your life that they, yeah. they writing books is uh it's a big chunk of time out of your life where you can't really do anything else and that's that's uh, that's the problem that i find with writing books because it is very, very time-consuming. I mean, as you know, I mean, when you're writing articles and researching stuff, it's the research that takes the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going to put a book together, you know, that that takes a lot of time, the research. And then once you've done it, I would say that something, the, the bit that takes even longer is the editing. The editing just goes on yeah. and on and on. <laughs> you oh, know, isn't so it so? Yeah. So as, um, as a as a as a writer, like the editing process is something that is so frustrating. You want to just hand it off to somebody else, and you hope. And some people do do that. Some people take your articles and edit them good because they don't want them to go up. I mean, if people saw how my articles were originally written, it's basically like uh, man first writing letters on stone. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so so they're not very structured. Um. So how long does it take? one to write a book would you say from start to finish how long um with with life going on in between i think the the last one uh took me about nearly the best part of a year so uh about i think it was about about i i purposefully took off a few months from writing anything else i just focused on the book and i managed to get the bulk of the book done in about five months something okay, like that right. yeah, but, yeah. Then, but but then um and as i said but then you start with the editing process and then you start with i mean the um, i must admit and i have to apologize to uh, many uh people that probably got earlier editions of my last book pseudo pandemic because that wasn't edited very well um i probably put it out too early um and subsequent editions were much better the editing was much better mm -hmm. and I, I mean i'm i am i i mean i'm for my uh when i was a kid i went to school and they taught i was part of an educational experiment called ita yeah. so the idea was that they would teach children to spell phonetically um initially at about three to four years you know four four five six years old and then you know teach them to 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 write english correctly at a later stage so the idea was to get children just just to get children writing earlier 
but consequently the the net effect of that and i've spoken to quite a few other people that that, that were my age so i was at school in the in the mid mid 70s um who have, have basically become dyslexic but we're not dyslexic mm -hmm. we're not actually dyslexic if i if i if i concentrate i'm not dyslexic but if i'm writing quickly words like because i'll spell b double e k o z you know and I, I i it just it just i can't seem to shake that consequently this, this is intriguing to me because i've 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 uh not only i mean we we brought up under the same um uh, sort of school uh system but we're probably i don't know when what what year what year are you born is well probably... I'm, I'm 53 now so, so you're you're ten years you're a decade older than me, yeah. Which is what I kind of expect. I've seen. Um, I mean, I got two older sisters, um, and I've got uh, a lot of people I've known uh, from the past who brought me up in a sense. Uh, some rogues and vagabonds. <laughs> they they all have um, issues with uh reading and i myself uh was told, my mum was called in and i was said i was dyslexic at the age of four but i would get over it because um i i read really well so i couldn't write very well apparently but i think it was that was something you're you, there's something within the system that i mean you're you're talking about a, 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 a experiment that's easy to kind of get a grasp on happening and you can say that was definitely because of that but do you get a feeling through that period they were just stumbling through their processes and seeing what worked or what didn't well it's quite ironic that you know that then that so many years later that uh you know i've ended up writing about this, this kind of this kind of thing because what this was was an ill thought through policy mm -hmm. you know it, it was just an idea it's like it's like some educational uh you know a committee subcommittee somewhere you know looked at some american research and thought oh yeah that's a great idea let's try that mm -hmm. so they they ex they were experimenting it was an educational experiment and it was i think there was quite a few there was you know a fair few schools that were involved in it at the time it only went on for about three years um you know and it was quite prevalent where i grew up on the south coast of england i think also in london there was other places like york and places like that that i think they did it um so it was an experiment that they were trying out on kids you know and, and i know the intention was was uh the intention was to you know quite a good idea to try and get children to to be able to write earlier than they normally could but it, it backfired it didn't it didn't work so that was yeah, an experiment yeah, yeah. that went wrong but nonetheless that's still you know Fortunately, throughout my my education, it didn't affect my education too too greatly. But I know a lot of kids that it did. You know, their their um their ability to you know their comprehension and stuff in English wasn't what it should be. And were they were they were those kids fodder for um the creation and the design and implementation of a, a potentially better system? Um, well, yeah, think? I think that, I think that was the plan. That was that was the plan, but it didn't work out. And I mean, I suppose the the argument is then, well, how do you try these things? I mean, sooner or later, you've got to try this stuff. But it did; they did try it on a hell of a lot of children all in one go, you know. And mm -hmm. I mean, I know I, I understand the argument about kind of you know study group size and all that sort of stuff. I get it, but nonetheless, you know, this was a lot of children. We're talking, you know, tens of thousands of children in one go. Yeah. So. And so maybe uh, that's not consequences the way to do it. that ring through time. Consequences that ring 
through time. And I see this uh, through, I, I feel that there was a range of experimentations, uh, experimentation going on on kids through the 70s and 80s. And it's kind of goes hand in hand with what I've been researching about how education was uh, for the masses was manipulated and, and, and kind of re-fought uh, uh, re in the um, 1960s by these people in like you know, American policy institutes like Hudson Institute and uh, and the like where where the uh, as I mentioned in the um one of my Schwab pieces the auxiliary paper in education that was written uh, in 1966 1968 by um uh, the real Dr Strangelove Herman Kahn really looked at uh, educating the masses in uh, separately to the leaders and of course we do a lot of work on this mm -hmm. ourselves so to see the process um and how they then focused on the schools and what they did mm -hmm. in the schools then it seems that they lost their a, a certain portion of their effort of a quantity of ethics mm -hmm. they 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 left it behind in the 70s and 80s by saying okay now we've separated ours our kids from their kids we started that process mm -hmm. so now let's experiment on their kids and that's how i feel the process i feel it's a even though it's we can see it was done for the right reasons at a ground level anybody can be given the right reasons to anything can't they if it's the right time and place and <laughs> the scent is in the air because uh mm. that's how everybody jumps on bandwagons um that's that's a really like interesting way to start off because really i i feel that in you um when i look at your work when i talk to you i get this whole feeling that you've had a very similar experience to me um and that we've been we we are people who were not necessarily uh trained to be writers or meant to be writers but mm -hmm. we're on this path so when was it that you became the writer that you are now what was the, what was the moment where you realized ah i'm a journalist or i'm a writer i'm an investigator or whatever you consider yourself as i've always been very uh despite ita despite going through it, i've always been very keen on writing when i was a kid i used to write a lot of poetry um i used to do kind of public speaking competitions and all that kind of thing although that, that, some people might find that hard to believe now but um <laughs> But I am, um, uh, you know, I've always been kind of interested in reading. I've always been a reader. I've always been a writer. So I've, I've enjoyed that all my life. I was always writing stories. Big thing that I was into when I was a kid was writing comics. I used to write my own comics. So, um, you know, I mean, I was I was into all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then when I was working, uh, you know, I used to write for kind of like trade, like the local kind of office broadsheet, that kind of stuff. And then I was involved in the unions. I used to write a little bit for the unions and that kind of thing. But um, really, I suppose um, I really started writing in earnest probably about 2000 ish. Um, and I and I just purely no, it's probably a bit later than that. What we're talking about It's probably 2008, something like that. When um, I was just writing a blog purely out of interest, you know, I, mm -hmm. it was just I was just writing about the things that I was interested in, uh, and the things that I was interested in were kind of uh, 
following 9-11, really, I suppose. Um, and, and, and I have to say about 9-11, um, I didn't pick up on 9-11 until probably about, you know, 2005, something like that. I was still kind of pretty much... I knew I felt uncomfortable about it. I knew that there was something not right about it, but I hadn't I hadn't given it much thought, to be frank. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I was just getting on with my life and working, really. I, um, I, I felt I, I I have to say it felt like a ramrod right inside me as soon as it happened. It was like for me, it was it it was this. I didn't become. Oh, I I don't see myself as becoming a journalist till about 2016, um, but I'd already started investigating from that moment. I. I just kept boxes of all of the papers. I went out, I kept all of the papers from work and I tried to, to look through them all and tried to understand what was going on in real time. And, and I, I realized that the truth wasn't there. The truth wasn't there. And then like 2003, 2004, around that time was loose change. And, and it just like mind blowing, opening up everything. And I remember some people, if people woke up then they would go crazy that's what i remember in the late 90s and early noughties i had experiences of people who opened their eyes from uh open their inner eyes uh, for, uh to what was going on around and went absolutely berserk afterwards because the whole reality for them just dropped and no one else was on board no one else so mm -hmm. uh, uh, we we've already gone through this fantastic process and so what was it that made you what was it that 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 had you with 9-11 what was it that got you and got you turning in circles well, I think the first thing is that when I remember I was at work at the time when it when it went down, uh, when the Twin Towers collapsed and everyone was kind of gathered around the TV at work. Um, and I was I then I worked in a in a large mental in, uh, mental health institution. So everyone was kind of gathered around and looking at this and watching it. And and I remember at the time looking at just a question that popped into my head, I thought, how did they get the, I mean, you know, not knowing anything about it, just see, how did they get the explosives in the, in the towers? How did, <laughs> how did they get them in the towers? Because obviously a plane can't make a building do that. You know, that's obvious. That seemed obvious to me. So I, I was expecting that discussion and that debate and the investigation to be looking into those things over the subsequent years. You know, that's what I thought would happen. That it didn't, I always thought was really odd. And then when, and then probably around 2005, I can't remember who told me, but we were just talking and they just said, of course, you do realise the whole 9-11 thing is just complete rubbish, right? And I just, and that was it. I just, I, when they said that to me, I thought, well, well, yeah, I do. I do realise that. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Now? I, it's I just that realize. one direct <laughs> sentence gets right into your head, like yeah. a plane hitting a building. Um, this, the, it, God. I so weird to to I, I mean I story I've told to people a, a few times is that the the real like one of the moments where I realized there was something really wrong with the whole thing was that um we got raided by the police while we were growing weed I had just like I was just relocating um from this property where we had set up a, a grow room and we were we were we were gonna become millionaires now we yeah. just we just wanted to 
to grow weed and not have to pay for weed and and etc and we loved it so we had we had gone through all that process but someone who we had lived with was um had a very angry mother who um knew that we smoked weed on the property and her son was like no 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 and then before you knew it the police were banging down the door um and running up the stairs and they didn't take any of the grow equipment they didn't confiscate any of it they just took the two boxes of newspapers that were about 9-11 it <laughs> <laughs> made no sense <laughs> I, i'm just like no come on and the, the thing is is i had just I, like i was in transitioning from the park my friends lived there so i had just moved out and i was about two weeks it was about two weeks after i moved out and they'd been bothering me for two weeks about taking these two boxes of newspapers that were really awkward to carry and the police just came and took them away from me instead so yeah. it was fine <laughs> um it was a very silly time but there's, there's a lot I, I mean there's a lot within that because you haven't only got of course um september the 11th it was like it's 2002 2001 september 11 2002 we're starting a war in afghanistan and iraq yeah, it's on yeah, its way yeah. you know we're just like pushing towards um wh where we are now which is uh, when i say pushing towards it's just kind of, it's not pushing towards anything because it's perpetual warfare so it just never goes anywhere so it's like oh look there's yeah, war in yeah. afghanistan again and loads of things get blown up and the military industrial complex makes some bang um for a little bit of time so you got september the 11th where was your journey into the independent media who took you on this road who is the pe who were the people that once you started writing like that and start to get a bit more serious that you look around because I, I i i that's i'm just explaining my own own journey it's like you look around and you see the the same faces that you look back on now and say oh man if they wanted to get rid of anybody they should have got rid of those people <laughs> who who yeah. were the ones that opened you your eyes uh, well, I think uh, very much uh, the people that I liked were the people that did, that were ha that were quite serious, I guess, and dry, and were and and offering the evidence uh, and not trying to jump to conclusions too much. So, I, so I wasn't a big fan of the of the kind of um, uh, American kind of um, Alex Jones bombast. Yeah, yeah. The, although you know, Alex Jones did some reasonable stuff. I have to say. Yeah, of course, on. of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, if you but, got any uh, like like uh, dialect go uh, dialectic going, then you just have to have your opposing force there. Uh, you know, and yeah, um, but I mean, Alex I think, Jones was that. Yeah, and I think Alex Jones is obviously a businessman, and, and I think mm -hmm. I was I was aware of that. I've always been wary of of uh, commercial interests and yeah, people selling I, you any type of oil or liquid. Yeah, so I come from a tradition of the left, so so that I'm I'm not. I wouldn't say that I was particularly ardently anti-capitalist, even when I was, uh, you know, very very much leaning towards socialism, but um, but none but nonetheless. Uh, I've always been kind of wary of the of the snake oil salesman. So it was people like James yeah. Corbett. Um, oh, oh, you know, yeah, sorry, where, sorry, he's beautiful man. What a beautiful man. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, his his content is is just fantastic. So mm -hmm. I mean, but I mean, I think the book actually that really kind of uh, made me kind of sit up and think. And this is probably even before I started consuming any kind of quote unquote alternative media was uh Buzzinski's grand chessboard because hmm. because that because i i remember reading that and it suddenly you know i mean i was aware of people like kissinger and so forth like that but i i, I hadn't really started taking their 
the real. You're talking about an extremely interesting character who played the minds, uh, like played people's minds very well. So, yeah, explain, explain. Yeah, so um, it, it it was the fact that that Brzezinski was putting forward policy suggestions in a very matter of fact and dispassionate way, which he outlines throughout the the grand chessboard, which is about which is a view of the world as just that. It's a view of the world as just a, a, a blank board, game board that you move pieces around. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly realised, hang on a minute, these, there's, there are people that are in positions of influence and authority that really think like this. Mm-hmm. What they're not seeing is that, you know, he's talking about, he's talking about the, the, the battle for the Eurasian continent, which is, couldn't be more pertinent than, than what we're seeing at the moment with Ukraine. He's talking about that as if it's all about kind of tactics and logistics and manoeuvres mm-hmm. and investment and how this is going, without connecting clearly in his own mouth, in his own mind, that what he's actually talking about is the deaths and the, the war and carnage and the disruption of economies and the destruction of people's lives that 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 wasn't even and I, i'm reading that i realize that that is not even in his mindset it's not even in no, his mindset it, it, uh, the people the people who he hung around with in his ilk saw so, and, and i mean i I I think they could possibly be a, a better way than than he describes it as like a large chessboard or a game board or or the mm-hmm. like. There's it, it's it's like um when I studied John Kenneth Galbraith, uh, he's a really interesting guy who studied under John Maynard Keynes and studied Keynesian economics and announces the post-Keynesian economic era and then announces a new era later on. And these guys were watching these grand movements of society and culture and the masses without being able to see the masses themselves mm, yeah, exactly they were exactly. they were they were watching the movement and the 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 um epochal change the the eras just rolling over and a new modern era being created and your the modern era that you became attached to uh, uh, go, uh, to go away and become the past and they they, they i think they they have such a a grand understanding of important moments of history that it allows them to play that game and by uh, uh, that this returns again to 1960s 1970s where they start to really old 50s and 60s where they start to clearly define what they had and what knowledge they had that was above the masses and gave them that ability to view the sway of uh, culture in mm-hmm. such a manner and and um important like influential um movements in society and, and trends i suppose um and they were trying to understand what and they defined it refined it and separated it out of society and we're now yeah. seeing this split we're seeing you know the morlocks and the the whatever all <laughs> are yeah, opposing yeah. each other being created by this way of thinking that i think attaches to what you're saying there um that's i i mean He's one of the most uh, Wazinski. I can I, I can. I'm always too scared to say <laughs> these names. He comes up 
over and over and over and over again um, in so many oh, yeah. different ways. He's he's such an interesting um, thinker because he, he he thinks outside human humanity, humaneness. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, when you think that he started um, uh, what was it? Operation Cyclone was was very much his, which was the arming of the uh, uh, the jihadist elements in both in Afghanistan and in saudi arabia as well and mm -hmm. you know which led to arguably led to i mean i'll say arguably i'll, I'll be more more firm about that which led to the creation of al-qaeda yeah, yeah. um uh you know that and the fact i mean i mean weird things happen don't they so that that was that was part of his strategy for destabilizing the eurasian central eurasian continent afghanistan geopolitically and geographically is it is it is in a kind of inflection point in the middle in the middle of that mm -hmm. continent so for all kinds of reasons it's it's often been you know it's it, obviously it's not been called the graveyard of empires for nothing because con continually empires are trying to take this region but they're, they're normally they're normally confronted a with people that are very tough and very resilient and b with 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 the competition from other empires so mm -hmm. so that there's a it's, a it's a kind of place where empires have been throwing arms and subterfuge and been throwing all their kind of stuff into that region for centuries they, so, that's why there's there's a good there's a good uh, argument to be made. We were talking about this on day zero the other day that there was a good argument, or at least I was. There was a good argument to be made uh, by the um. The, the, there's a, a a school of thought that thinks that that, that Russia, the steppes of of central Russia, of, of Western Central Russia, and and below are really some of the most important and is the center of the world the stable world and even though culturally we don't like to look at it like that that's mm. why some of the most important events are happen surrounding there because it's really massively important that you have this crossroads from the the place where 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 this very important part of the world down to all of the rest of the world and round to all of the rest of the world which afghanistan turkey um there uh, and iran to an extent a large mm. extent uh pakistan as well extremely mm. important to geo uh political power games if you are looking at it as a chessboard and as yeah. we know these guys look at it like that i mean that's what the cfr really if you look at how they talk and what their meetings included in the past it was like watching the longest most boring chess match where every move would have a committee on 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 a committee, on a committee, on a committee until it took the life out of of it and even the people who existed within the cfr found the level of banality like just beyond anything they'd uh, experienced before so we oh man this is so interesting we're talking about yeah but you you mentioned something back there let's get off uh off topic a sec um you you were saying you were working in uh mental health in in the uk at one point were you yeah, no, I've worked in mental health and I've worked in substance misuse mainly, sort of latterly towards the sort of the last ten years, twelve years. I was working mainly in substance misuse. Oh, so sorry, I, I like, like, I, I also worked at substance. Oh no, at substance misuse. There you go. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. No, I worked in. I, I worked with kids with autism, and I did a little bit of mental. It's like the hardest work possible, and you just seem like obviously the type of guy who who would be able to handle doing that for 
for a certain period. But how long did you work in mental health for? Uh, well, I, I, on and off, because I worked with various different client groups. Mm-hmm. So I've also worked with adults with autism. I've worked with adults with learning difficulties. I've worked with um, mental health, adults with mental health. One thing that I studiously avoided throughout my working career uh, was working with children. I just, I just couldn't face it. I, I just couldn't. I, 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 when I, I remember when I was working, <laughs> when I was working with, um, uh, I, I worked on a project in, in Portsmouth where we were it, helping. It was called the High Impact Patient Project. So what we were doing is we were working with people who's presented a significant cost impact and that is the bottom line it was about mm-hmm. the cost impact mm-hmm. that they presented to emergency services so we're mm-hmm. talking about individuals that are costing say for example the local ambulance services hundreds of thousands of pounds a year yeah, yeah. with call outs and so forth so high highly what they what they call hard to reach families right now it always uh, you know whenever children were involved in that situation and when i was going into into households where it was unsafe. It was not. It was not safe for a child to be growing up in that in that um, environment. Uh, I would rep- I would always raise a safeguarding concern to uh, you know to the the, the child the child safety teams and local child safety teams, and never and would never hear anything else about mm-hmm. it. Would never hear anything. Black about hole it. void. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, and then and then I would then there were other occasions where you know you'd be you'd be concerned about the welfare of a child and you'd kind of try and bring that up in so there were there were situations where i had to be part of what they call tac meetings which is team around the child meetings mm-hmm. so you you would raise these significant concerns you know I'm, I'm working with a family where there's violence where there's drug abuse where there's alcoholism this child's not safe nothing would happen mm-hmm. and then but the, but then you would work I would work, be involved with other team around the child meetings where they would say to me, you know, I, I might out, only be working with one of the parents, for example. So I wouldn't, all I would know about that parent is that they were working through their program. That was all I would know about them. I've never even met the child. I'm, I don't even know. I've, I've never been, I've never been to their home environment. I don't know anything about their home environment really, because I'm meeting the parent in a, in a, another location, in a GP surgery. So they would ask my opinion, say, well, what what do you think? What do you think about the, the safety of the child? And I would say, you know, and this has happened to me on a number of occasions in TAC meetings where I would say, well, I, I can't give you an opinion because I don't know the circumstances of the child. I, I hear what you're all saying, but I don't have an opinion because I haven't I haven't been privy to that information other than what you've just told me. I've got no experience to give to base my opinion on. I've got no evidence to base my opinion on. And they would say to me, you have to give an opinion because it's part of the process of the team around the child. Wow. You can't wow. just say, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm indifferent to this issue because I don't know what the circumstances are. All you I know is to put your two you have in. to give an opinion. So and and things like that would make me, you know. I mean, I've always that that drowns out focus. That drowns out focus. That means that that you every again. This is this is um something really important. Equality of thought or insight or something automatically being given to everything, whether or not something is the right 
thing or the wrong thing and it's something we see expressed in society within transgender debate and other things nowadays you know mm -hmm. just you everything's equal so you have to then accept these other rules on top of it and that's why it's masked it's cloaked it's cloaks the real issues the way not to tackle real issues is by making them equal to issues that are unreal or un uh, 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 have no sort of like emotional attachment to them make them equal and then you take the emotion out of the one thing anyway sorry go on yeah i mean i know i mean that's a good point i mean you do when you're working in you ask about working in those kind of environments for you know a number of years well for more in my case for more than you know best part of 25 years 30 years it does become a job you can't you can't get away from that you know i mean even though you're dealing with which is part of the you know it was my uh emotion my personal emotional vulnerability that wouldn't allow me to work with children because i would get too i was just too emotional about the subject so i mean that that was one of the reasons why i chose not to work or try to avoid it uh, as a when you're a qualified social worker you have to work with children if you when you first qualify but oh that was the state anyway when i was studying so you you have to qualify you have to work with children and i didn't want to do that yeah, yeah. um so so i avoided that i um, understand i understand it perfectly well uh because i went and worked with uh children with autism and uh it was one of the most i i, I really some of it the, the course it's like extremes some of the most amazing feelings and some of the darkest most horrible sights uh, yeah. the saddest moments the 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 most like you can't even you can't even describe how some of these kids have to live every day it's not about their surroundings or you can give them the nicest facilities in the world but when you're talking about um kids who cost a lot of money to ambulance services i mean the, the in the place i was in um I, I worked for a, a company that had uh, two or three facilities in Cardiff facilities. They were very lovely places. Um, and the two kids in uh, our section who were the, the most expensive cost about 250000 a year just to house. The companies would not go any low because the amount of insurance, I mean, uh, one kid was nonverbal who would need he'd get obsessed about things so like he had to touch a certain thing but then it'd be outside the door of the facility and then he'd beat himself bloody to get to that thing um and it, it, you can you can leave and do it but then you get into a negative cycle and it's all sorts of things uh some of the people were just some of the kids were just fantastic their mind they were mind-blowing yeah. and others were tragic the tragedy is is so hard to deal with um i i didn't last uh, amazingly long uh in that field i i had worked in hotels for years and years and i thought i I will. I want to do it for a while, and it was mind breaking to work with children who were in such crisis nearly every day, all of the time, all around you, and to watch mm. the sadness. Um, I I worked with one girl who could lift up multiple men and throw them across the room when she was angry, and she was tiny, skinny. Little. You see things. Oh, that are just, uh, yeah. There's like some, beyond. Yeah, there's some incredible um 
I've seen people in in well, the SRA, some spontaneous rage attack. So you get this overwhelming rage. Uh, do just do it's well superhuman things. Just do, just do incredible, we, we, incredible was, feats. The, it, when when she kicked off, or when she started saying certain words, it was certain terms. She was she was um, she used to talk and be you know interactive, and then. Um, something happened uh, at one point. I mean, psychologically, people think she she went through a lot of different abuse, and uh, when she was younger, and they think that 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 some somehow just like switched her, um, took over in her at one point, and she lost her ability to talk because of just some sort of sadness uh, attached in with autism and schizophrenia and all sorts of other things. This girl was a tragic case and she was 19 and in child's facility because there was nowhere that would take her because she was Mm, so mm, uh, mm. amazingly, um, I, I, I I sat with her one time, sat opposite uh, and she was writing on, um, she was scribbling. I've still got the scribbles actually up on my, my wall somewhere. Um, she was scribbling down. She used to do numbers and stuff and she used to say w- certain words over and over again as she did it. And it was this room full. It was, it must've been about like quarter to six. So every, the two shifts were handing over and there was loads of people. It was a room full of people. Uh, and and I I had I they'd all had their experiences with her. I'd never had any negative experiences with her because yeah. I, I I believe it's because she she probably liked the fact that I didn't treat her like Molly Connell. I just talked to her and then I was just like yeah nice to her and she responded really well to certain people who just treated her like a human. Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it just seems very obvious, but I, I, you can't be sure because of the way her mind worked. You can't be sure. I remember I was sitting on this, this table and she said a certain set of words and it's a trigger words and the whole room, no, no word of a lie, emptied out in a matter yeah. of two seconds, three seconds, just Twenty uh, odd people just disappeared out the door, and there was just a couple of heads popping round as I sat with this girl who was repeating these words on this table while scribbling down these 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 things, and yeah. and like I refused to like go at first. I was like, and they were like, okay. And I got up and left and walked out with them and played that that part of the game. But she was extremely dangerous, and there was reasons why all of those things yeah. were in order. And I'd seen her be restrained by seven, eight people with ten people on standby, and her lift lift up out of a sofa, and she was the skinniest little rake of a thing. It was insane. Yeah, and then and then obviously afterwards, what that causes that person is incredible fatigue. They, then they go into a fatigue state for maybe days, maybe maybe weeks. She would but, she would at first the first thing she would do was kick the sideboards. She'd go repeat. Yeah. She'd do a, a process of a pattern of repeating where she'd go up to a sideboard and she'd just slightly kick it, and then she'd turn around, walk up to another sideboard, and slightly kick it. And then she mm. walk across the room to the next sideboard and slightly kick it, and she just go through that process for a couple of hours until then she hit into fatigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, 
And I mean, I, I, I adopted the same approach as you, mate. I mean, I, I always, I always spoke to people with respect and with and 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 treated them as just the same as I would treat anybody else. You know, I mean, I never, I never drew a distinction between people because they had um, maybe you know very complex needs. And I, and I, I adopted the same approach when I was working with people with mental health conditions. And and when I was working with people with drug and alcohol dependency problems, mm-hmm. you know, I mean that that I I saw no reason. I mean, I, the way I used to look at it was, I see no reason to treat these people any differently. You know, I mean, obviously with respect to their needs and you know being aware of their needs and how that they they could be met. But nor do I see any reason why their behaviour should be just should be treated any differently either Mm -hmm. so i mean i always i mean with with clients that were um aggressive towards me no matter what their needs were you know when when an opportune moment i would just say i really didn't appreciate your behavior i really didn't appreciate it i didn't i don't like being punched i don't like being kicked Mm -hmm. so i please please don't do it again And, and and i found and i honest to god i found that that approach, I, I would not be. I mean, I, I mean, people all want. People always used to say to me because I'm quite a big bloke. I'm quite, I'm quite physically quite big, and people say, "Oh, well, that they, they, you know, you didn't get hit because you're you're a big guy." And I thought, well, that's a silly argument because that's suggesting that the person that is in that in that state knows what they're doing, and I and I mm-hmm. think often they don't. So that doesn't that doesn't ring true. But I I think it's to do with who they feel safe with and i and i think i think because often i think these kind of outbursts of rage and anger usually it stem to a failure to communicate there's some unmet need there mm-hmm. so who are you going to communicate with to get your needs met how are you going to do that well it's the people that they feel safe and comfortable with and one of the interesting things i would say to you i wonder if you'd have stayed sat at that table if that would have been reassuring enough for her not to mm. kick off because yeah, then yeah. when you then when you leave she's got no one that she's on a level with who who mm-hmm. who can she who can she communicate with how is she yeah. going to get this get this need met then she kicks off i i, I really found uh I, I i knew that if i stayed there she would be fine and i also knew something else i felt at least that the majority of the people treated her that way um, and the way that these guys did and that that she did not like those people and never forgave them for how they reacted. And that yeah. stayed with her and how she acted with different people. And her level of anxiety was increased with working with certain people um, uh, uh, not others and i like to think that i was uh, li- listen i mean there's so many challenging situations with with um uh some of the the guys i was mainly on with this one boy who was just wow he was a special case he could he could put his hand up his own bum and find a weapon Ma- man- manually evacuating as well yeah and then come yeah. for you um, and you just knew his head would turn to the side when he went. Yeah, his... that's quite often that that kind of cocked head. Yeah, there's, cocked a, lot, head there's a lot of things that you know. There's a lot of research that that hasn't been done for mm-hmm. these people. Yeah. There's, there's, I, I think, I think there's, there's so much more that that we that's... could 
about how to communicate with them effectively. I, I remember the old, you remember the old flip up cards. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know whether you ever worked with them, but with people with autism that could recognise sim- that that symbols were something that they could relate to more easily. And I mean, I'm talking with people at the severe end, the the non-verbal end of the autistic spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now, I always thought that card system. I always thought, well, why can't you adapt that for other needs as well? For people that are, you know, for example, people with severe anxiety who are so anxious that they can't even verbalize. Mm-hmm. When, when, why not, why not adapt that system? You know, and then, you know, I, I suppose during my working life, I had an opportunity to try and maybe bring some of those things about, but I didn't either. So, I mean, I don't know quite, <laughs> you know, but it's, I, it's, I, I, uh, yeah, it, it could, because you have to have humanity at the top or humaneness at the top if you want to have all of these things implemented and you want change, yeah, exactly, changes that exactly. are going to be positive. I mean, one of, one of the things that I, that I, I write I write about on my original about me page on my website when I first started is that uh, I got made redundant again right now I I have been made redundant oh I don't know how many times I've been redundant but <laughs> but, but but you know probably you know if you if you're working in the social care sector mm-hmm. if you're working for a private a private provider so I've worked in both the statutory and the private sector if you're working in the in the private sector, that's all done on a contract basis. So every three years, normally with a local authority, that contract comes up for retender. Most of my last, I mean, often I'd be working, and my, my the last year of my life would be nothing but bid writing. So, mm-hmm. so of my working life with that group would be would 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 be bid writing. So the the. You you invariably find if you don't get the contract, then services have to be, you know, that service may well go under or it might relocate to another region or you might get a new contract somewhere else. Now you might not want to move to that region, so you might have to leave that company. So it's a very unstable yeah. uh, uh, industry to be And the companies in. get taken over all of the time and they use companies get, they rely yep. on so much on agency staff that it makes yep. them it leaves them disrespecting their own staff because what they do is when and you all know this very well is they'll they'll make uh, us um work really 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 hard uh, mm. at a really high level of training to get everything completely right and then they just uh, they don't have enough staff so they just employ a load of agency staff that have zero training and you've got this juxtaposition between the two where you're suddenly like trying to stop the other person doing the wrong thing all the time or trying to watch their behavior because they're not used to to dealing with in these situations they just turned up for a job one day that's what they do they just turn yeah. up for a job one day and they find that they're they're put with with a, a kid who's got real troubling issues that they've never seen before and it's like you know we you go through all of this training to learn they they uh they they, it's such a it's such a hard industry to work within it is it's very hard and and and, uh you know i mean but at the same time there are other times when you just can't believe that you're getting paid for doing this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. i mean i i remember i mean you know like going on holiday with the with with clients or you know mm-hmm. supporting clients one to one and go like going swimming or something like that mm-hmm. so you, you go you go to the swimming baths and you, you spend the morning swimming about and suddenly you think hang on a minute <laughs> I'm, right. I'm getting paid for doing this this is great yeah. you know, I know and, I did, did like a bit uh, of that and then 
but but there is the downside and the downside is having to deal with very challenging situations sometimes and also i mean i think i think one of the problems that happened i think with community care to what with and i blame thatcher for this but then i blame thatcher for a lot of stuff so. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. but when me too. But, but when the whole the whole um community care thing started and they decided to close down the large institutions and move people out into the community the assumption was that the institutions were all bad now i worked in some of those institutions and then i worked in the community as well now i would suggest that some of that so I, for, let me give an example i worked in a community home in bristol um and the residents of that community home were all older older residents who had all previously lived in a large residential unit a large hospital basically a hospital secure accommodation so at that hospital some of those residents they had like a kind of for i'll give an example one one guy that i work with a client that i work with he used to be able to go to the tuck the tuck shop in the hospital grounds so he was free to wander around in the hospital grounds he was free to go and it quite pleasant grounds you know sculpted nice gardens and all that sort of stuff he could walk around that all day he could go to the tuck shop to buy his fags and he wouldn't get ripped off right so because he, he didn't have any concept of money he didn't know anything mm, about it so yeah, they would yeah. give him his fags and he'd give them 10 pounds even though the fags were this was a long time ago even though the fags yeah. were a couple of quid and they wouldn't <laughs> rip him off they would yeah, give yeah, him the yeah, right yeah. change right so so he could do all of that then then thatcher decides that that's you know that that's a bad idea that we're not doing that anymore because it mm. in her mind it was cheaper to put people into these into do you these... think that's where do you I, I mean i keep on the train of thought but do you think that's because it was cheaper yeah it was financial i think okay. i think they thought okay. they thought it was cheaper uh, okay they were back wrong this, yeah. they were wrong uh, it was it turned out to be more expensive but then they're usually wrong aren't they but i think yeah, i think yeah, they yeah. thought it was cheaper so they 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 put these people into these community homes and basically said to this guy you know you've now got a little support team around you you're on your own mate it's all mm -hmm. part of community awareness we want you to if you want a packet of fags you've got to walk into town and buy a packet of fags which means he couldn't he couldn't do that he couldn't go into town and buy a packet of fags he was incredibly vulnerable you know he he would say the wrong thing he would get himself into difficult situations he had no concept of money yeah 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 and they just took these people out of these institutions and just yeah. said off you go off yeah. you go out into the community it's just it was just ridiculous it was it was a crazy thing to do it was astounding, wasn't it? And I it, now what I was going to say is that I kind of like examine the seventies and the eighties a lot when it comes to Britain and when it comes to America and New World Order stuff and globalism. I kind of look at the fifties, sixties, and and seventies. So so there's that crossover period of the seventies where I know quite a lot about what was going on on both sides of the the channels and it was something much bigger and it it lends us to to leads us and lends this conversation to this conversation well because it'll lead us towards globalism because we start off in um in uh ted heath's cabinet really when i talk about this and he was one of the men who really really got on board with the world economic forum he was the president of the world economic mm -hmm. forum as you'll mm -hmm. yeah you, you'll know 
um and really down with the system i mean i i really want to i really want to watch this um series i can't remember what they what it's called but when i was researching the second Schwab piece i watched a couple of them i think it's named after one of um john kenneth galbraith's uh books um but it was a series documentary series following his trails in the late 70s and early 80s around Europe with globalist people like Ted Heath. And I'd love, love to watch all of that stuff. But but the, within Heath's cabinet, you had some really, really strange people. Margaret Thatcher was one of them, of course. But another one um, uh, was Keith Joseph, who's mm. one of the most weirdest, horriblest people he goes right through me when he speaks there's a, a brilliant episode of firing line with william f buckley where if you watch it and you see keith joseph talking how he talks it'll make you go oh oh my god he's he's like sweating he's having to get his handkerchiefs talking about his young girls going gowns you know he's he's really a very strange yeah. guy um and he created Which is saying uh, something in Heath's cabinet, isn't it? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> wow, well, it's full of some quirky folk, that's for sure. Um and he was a guy who created like social services and uh and the care home system uh mm-hmm. as it was uh, from 1971-1972 he previously had been the housing minister if i remember correctly um during the period where they wasted a load of money build badly building giving like shoddy builders loads of money to build massive buildings that all had to be destroyed and 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 yeah. brought down um the the following year like all over or, or, or the following decades sorry all over britain um i know that's covered in um in a, a few different places um including uh, adam curtis documentary if i remember correctly mm. uh but but keith joseph was this strange he created the social services this care network to be something much different than it than than people think it was i personally i think it was to feed um a certain desire within that political class um uh, power corrupts and a lot of these people were very powerful and looked at the fact that how can we get what we want and what do we want well we want to uh, do our our ruling then we want to go and we want to get some drinks and then we want to find some young girls so how and or young boys so how do we go about that process and i think there was an element of that uh, why keith joseph was in charge of mm. setting up um social what? services partially because of who he put in charge so down in kent you had um uh, a very very strange man indeed uh nicholas um stacy who would say the line i wrote an article about it say the line uh men who are attracted to 13 year old boys make the best teachers that was one of his quotes um, that, and he said and that, that in 2000 and something and that's the same time isn't it when tim fortescue was chief whip and you know, that, that... There was some dodgy things going on. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, in context, people don't realize what the sexual revolution of the, the supposed sexual revolution of the 60s was. It yeah. was a co-op 
concocted um agenda operation to kind of release this sort of like sexual pent-up angst to uh go over to the next level with you them being able to understand how to use sex to manipulate you know there's a lot of the intelligence services were trying to release that uh quantity out make it everybody feel like they can do whatever yet when the focus turns on the individual they suddenly regret everything that they've done publicly and and they're about to, to go into positions of power and the like so you've got all of the compromise and you've got all the ability you convince mm -hmm. people to go out and be sexy and what you'll get is a lot of compromise and this was the dawn of like sexual compromise operations now on top of that i think there was a cultural shift um a, and a positive cultural shift i say for my 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 uh gay lesbian and bisexual brothers and sisters out there love you all um and they they got recognized their their legitimacy and their mm -hmm. legality got recognized um at the end of the 60s and that meant the 70s was a very interesting period because i really do believe that you know they the uh, people who target children inferred a lot into the this sexual equality and the the, the stigma being released about being gay lesbian or bisexual so yeah. that meant that suddenly there was a group who, uh, as we know in Britain, we had PI, the Pedophile Information Exchange, who suddenly went to work lobbying behind the scenes, politicians. And so if you imagine that these guys are constantly lobbying politicians to change the laws on child sexual exploitation, um, child trafficking and child sex, all throughout this period, then you can think that these... Um, asexual that's his own words pol uh, politicians such as ted heath and the like um were maybe uh coming in contact with people who could give them what they desired and then we see a string of care home um scandals where kids were being molested um uh, sometimes by people who were wealthy and in significant positions of when was our grove that was the, that was the early 80s wasn't it yeah that was uh, yeah that, well that that, re that reverberated as well that was kind of late 70s early 80s peaked at the early 80s got exposed a little bit then and then the owners kind of drifted away and went into sort of like uh obscurity eventually got well got, she got killed didn't she? yeah yeah in about yeah. 1990 1991 she she called it was some journalist or politician or something she'd be like Give you all the evidence. Come, 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 see me tomorrow. And then she was dead. And then she the was dead. Day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same King Cora, wasn't it? King Cora, Elm Yeah, Grove, they, you know, these, all, that, all, they were definitely intelligence entrapment operations, mm -hmm. weren't they? I mean, they, they were admittedly intelligence entrapment operations. A lot, a lot of people don't understand what intelligence entrapment is, though, because it is just like a, I, it's been described to me uh, by Whitney and others, like a, a, the, who's been described by other people uh, as a party boat that you get on, you just can't get off. So enjoy the party while you're on board. So all of these people are doing loads of different things that we'll dis despise, whether it be stealing our money, cajoling our healthcare system um, or our education systems, um, killing people off with bad policy um, in whichever way, shape or form. Uh, pumping out uh, experimental drugs or even experimental mm. psychological processes on us you know the, these guys uh, they don't they don't stop
they don't stop and we cover all of this stuff. and and it's not getting any better either i mean if you no. if you look at the number of children that have gone missing from care so if we look at the number of children that came over from syria for example mm -hmm. we're talking about tens of hundreds of children that are just vanished just just gone they don't know where they are you know or this this is what the authorities claim anyway they've got no clue what happened to these children so okay. Whether they've gone into the when are they whether they've gone into the kind of uh, you know underground kind of uh, slavery trade, child trafficking. I mean, I mean, you know, recently we've seen the UN put out a document where they're trying to normalise basically paedophilia. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're still this is this has been a a clear theme that has been ongoing as you quite rightly say if we i mean if we go back to the sort of 70s and i would argue earlier you know 50s 60s then mm -hmm. there's this theme this that of of trying to normalize paedophilia i mean that, that, mm -hmm. that they've been trying to do that pie being being a, a perhaps a particularly extreme example the labor party supporty for support for pie you know, mm -hmm. which 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 is which were you right was all embroiled in the notion of sexual liberation, and and this is this is the clever thing, isn't it? This is the way it works because for the um you know lesbian, gay community, LGBTQ plus whatever they want to call themselves now, there was a genuine point. They really were politically oppressed and socially oppressed and culturally oppressed. Mm -hmm. So they they had a real fight. There was a real fight there to be made. So, but but within that within that current that is then exploited that that genuine struggle and that's something that we see everywhere. We, particularly, we might look at environmentalism at the moment. But that that genuine struggle, where there is a genuine cause to be fought, is then mm -hmm. is then piggybacked upon by people who seek to exploit the situation for a cause that has no legitimacy like paedophilia amen that, that that's that's that is the way that the, the the thing has worked consistently for for decades and is still working that way today so okay. if we look at if we look at the transhuman the 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 transgender issue quite clearly there's there's and we are seeing it at the moment certainly with that un document for example there's there's people trying to piggyback on that to exploit that for, in this case, the normalization of paedophilia. But there's also people trying to exploit it for a transhumanist agenda as well. So, which means that, that the genuine people that, are, that are perhaps feel that they have a case to make for genuine, perhaps, um, uh, oppression, are then put out as the kind of, if, if you criticize this movement, you're criticizing them. But you're not mm -hmm. criticizing them. You're criticizing those who are exploiting them for their mm -hmm. own ends, and their ends are not good. You're always criticizing those who are making these fallacies, um, uh, fallacy, fa fallacy arguments all over the place. I mean, d yeah. this is what this is what we're constantly doing. They're trying to trick people by saying, "Oh, look at things this way, and it seems like this," and we say, "Yeah, but look at things every way, and it is this." And that, that's um, that's a difference. I I will put down a um, challenge 
to everyone who's listening, all 10 of you or more. <laughs> At least 10. No, no, it, it, there'll be a few people who listen to this. Um, and I put down a challenge. Come to me uh, on whatever platform you're on and tell me how many children go missing every year in the UK. And you can select a number of years if you want, or just give me just one year in particular that you got data for and come and show me. Because every time I see the data, it fries my mind and I can't believe that it's possibly true. And I can't understand why people aren't screaming and shouting about it because you're talking about thousands of kids. Um, and, and, And whenever, whenever... I want to say tens of thousands, and it I'm feels not going like... to give it away. I know the answer, and I'm not going to give it away. Oh, let you, let you, let you. <laughs> okay, well, you're going to tell me at the end, but I'll tell you at but the end. It, it does it 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 does fry. I've it, I've, it is more I've, than you can possibly imagine. Than you can now. Possibly okay, imagine. I talked to a couple of um, police officers. I've talked to people who deal with this sort of stuff. Uh, 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 it's so it's so hard to understand, um, but most coppers say that it's worse than anybody can possibly imagine. The prevalence of people targeting children is um, something that is more prevalent than the statistics will have you uh, believe. And the coppers say they can't do anything about it and they don't have any powers for it. And, of course, that's what they always say. Coppers, I I, I do police auditing, so you can't trust anything a copper wants because the copper always wants the thing on the side of the thing he should have. So (laughs) he'll get whatever he wants and then he'll start eating everything else. That's the problem with coppers. Um, They need to be watched closely, but still they don't have the ability to express this well enough that this and i kind of understand it from a perspective of um profiling like especially i've been releasing articles uh recently that studied the profile some of the profiling um fbi profiling of uh child sexual uh, people who target uh, children for sex um in this case epstein and maxwell and how really they would be classed as um, as preferential, a sadistic preferential pedophile. Sadistic being a very small portion of preferential pedophiles, a sadistic, um, but they had sadistic qualities if you believe every single thing every witness says. They have sadistic qualities. Yeah. Which is other, other than that, the majority, yeah, the majority of the victims actually describe them in terms of just preferential pedophiles. So there's actually only a very small minority who who put them in the other profile, but they have to be looked at in that profile because their obvious uh, their behavior is obviously narcissistic, um, and they weren't thinking about the girls at all. So that's uh, mid level sadism <laughs> at best, you know. So so there's this sadistic element. So it's all a spectrum, of course. Not everybody's, but for profiling, you can best uh, categorize people in profiling terms in. In, uh, certain areas now what most people don't know about child sexual exploitation is the majority of pedophiles or what we call pedophiles in the current terminology are situational um, uh, p- 
pedophiles. So they're not, they don't prefer child partners. They prefer adult partners, but situational stress and pressure will mean they will target young people to fill their own, the the hole in their own ego. So that draws a massive uh, issue in. So are you saying they they can't they can't form adult relationships, so they target children? No, they form situational. Uh, uh, some of them, yes. See, some of them can't form relationships with adults, but those mo- most of those are preferential pedophiles. They prefer relationships with children for that reason. Situational will be completely normative from the outside you will look at them and they will have a happy life i've i've studied gone i i don't even know what to do i've got i've got hundreds of people um uh, in in files elsewhere that i uh have tried to send over to police law enforcement and other people and they barely want to touch them because they've got so much work to do and they don't want to be told about more and yet you keep sending it to them they'll just ignore them so Mm. i don't even know what to do i wanted to form a collective at one point i went out on twitter and i said okay look at all of these people these are people that i can come and i can say i have evidence to prove that they are on this they like the the worst ones who are working with children i went for and got removed from working with children um but the the ones who are just out i don't even know what to do about it because you you can tell by uh, i i did i did this hunting not by uh trapping people by pretending to be a little girl or something like that yeah. but i i used platforms that allowed me just to see names and titles of files and then find and browse that user sharing those titles and then see if they're sharing any documents alongside those titles download all of the documents and screenshot their computer to show what they're sharing then i've got complete i mean i found people's people share their birth certificate alongside this stuff so they're just people who are into that sort of stuff are completely and utterly stupid most of the time they can't help but to do stupid stuff so they get they they, they're on a track which they can't get off they don't know where they're going um and they this is what people don't realize these people are just off in the world of their own they don't know they they don't see the ship from the shinola they don't see uh the wood from the trees and all and this i mean it's got they're, it's, they're it's, all out in society and yeah. they're acting normally but you don't know they exist because they're a massive poor proportion of mainly men who for situational reasons for pressure outside external pressures don't feel like they have a full ego enough with their current partner or their life or the way their life's going and that means they look for an output where they can take out that uh, lack of ego on someone who's weaker and that nearly always turns out to be a child who they're close to yeah i mean i i, I it's difficult isn't it because we need to be able to understand these things in order to protect the child mm-hmm. but it's protecting the child that should be kind of i think our focus because but how do we how and how do you do that once you, you know it all you realize that the, the problem is actually uh hundreds of times more prevalent than you actually uh, the people say it is and it oh, may it is, be yeah. up to a number of something like one in ten men uh, who are, are a potential of offending if well, most the of situation it, most of it gets place, worse most of it takes place in the home doesn't it i mean mm-hmm. it's yep. the most common place where um 
where child sexual abuse occurs is in the home. So we're and, talking. And what happens? Lockdown. What happens at lockdown? What happens in future? Exactly. Lockdowns? I mean, this was a risk that people were trying to point out at the time. You know that if if you if you put people into this situation, those children that are currently vulnerable, you know, in their in their home situation, you are going to multiply their risk factors by yep. by a massive amount. That's when you see a situational paedophile become an offender. And that's what people don't realize is that most mm. situational paedophiles will, will like see the pressure they get in their like, let's say maybe they're not doing well in their job. Their life's falling apart. Their woman doesn't love them anymore. They're cheating on someone. They feel guilty. And they'll express that onto uh, whatever is around them at the time. If that's then multiplied much more over the more likely they are to then offend um and show their true face so i i mean is it their true face or is it is it like uh a societal malaise and a forced addiction to inf infantilizing ourselves that that causes all of this because that's a lot of what we do in education is make treat ourselves like children like what we watch is treating ourselves like children like what we consume is treating ourselves like children and i get so, a feeling certainly i mean if you look at government messaging now who are they targeting at i mean it's all mm -hmm. cartoons and and little 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 bubbly charts and lots of happy music and it, it does look like i mean I, when you look at that kind of messaging you kind of think well that i remember seeing that sort of stuff on play school when i was a little baby what what yeah. is this where where is where is the you know if you surely at some point maybe after nine o'clock in the evening or something like that i don't know how, how it could work but at some point, you need to communicate with adults, but they don't want to communicate with adults. What they want to do is infantilize absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. Because if you infantilize everything, then you are blurring that distinction between adulthood and childhood, aren't you? You're deliberately, yeah. you're deliberately doing that. So the world is messed up at the moment as well. You look out on yeah. social media and you see how people present themselves and is often as little girls or dumb people or stupidity or yeah. all of the expressions that you'd expect from an ill-educated society. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, I mean I'm going back to what you were talking about the kind of the education system. I mean the the advantages of a classical education which which you know years ago that that separation was made but as you were saying between the between those that were fortunate enough to receive a classical education which looks at the trivium of how to think critically which teaches people to think critically so you are arming a select group of people with uh well an intellectual advantage actually you're giving you're giving them yep. tools that you're not allowing the vast swathe of people to have access to now it's the, an attack the, on all sides isn't it it's attack on population yeah. it's attack on everything but it's attack on that too yeah it, yeah sorry. so you're so you're so you're you're giving a, a select group of people additional tools which they can then employ as adults because one of the things about you know about thinking about things critically is obviously that you learn that as an adult that comes with additional responsibilities that you didn't have as a child which is the key distinction between being an adult and a child, you mm -hmm. take on the responsibility for the world. You take on the responsibility for your actions. There is a point at which, you know, even probably when is it? I don't know, probably when we're about 14, 15 years old, that we start thinking about these things naturally. We start taking on more responsibility for ourselves. 
But if you put that into an educational setting where you are actually saying once you have the responsibility of being an adult, here are the tools that can equip you to deal with the world around you. and We're going to give you those tools, which is what you get in a classical education. But you don't give those tools to people in a in every other educational setting. You are you're creating basically that two tier that two tier society, aren't you? You're correct. Re regardless of wealth. Forget about wealth, forget about inequality of opportunity. You are actually creating an intellectual schism in, in the fabric of society so that one group of people are always going to have an advantage simply because they approach problem solving in a completely different way from everybody else in that in society. Mm -hmm. The ultimate expression of that is when you get to someone like Brzezinski or Kissinger or someone like that, mm -hmm. because they have taken that approach to the to the ultimate level. They have yes. taken it to the globe to the global perspective and are applying those same kinds of dispassionate logical approaches to political situations which actually cause great harm and suffering. Mm -hmm. But they're 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 disassociated from that. They're just they're just seeing it in terms of you know, moving pieces on a chessboard in a very logical and an uncaring way. Because mm. be, now they will argue, and they always do argue. Bizzinski certainly did, and I know Kissinger does as well. That they're doing it for the for a good reason. They're doing it because ultimately this matters. That this, but but how is that's like saying that's like saying, you know, there's there's some kittens here, which they've lost their parent. So. So I haven't got time to care for these kittens. So the logical thing for me to do is put them in a sack and throw them off a bridge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Because that's the right thing to do. Yep. Now, that is more or less where people like Brzezinski and Kissinger found themselves at. Yeah. That yeah. killing and is, is, not, is, not, is not necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think there's a load of people who have to put that, um, put put like, uh, it's so weird that how 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 much influence they got and how much attention they got for saying something that was basically the most extreme view that you could get for their their time, the CFR for their groups and the, the groups like that. Um, Oh, there's so much to this. I yeah. really, I, I, me and you could talk for a long time about all of this stuff, um, because I think we see power in roughly the same way, but we have a slight um alternative experience. And these guys really did. They, once you see things at the extreme, you can't get down to um humanity again. You're lost to it. And a lot yeah, of these guys. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and then they, they pass that down to the next generation. And one of the things I was going to say is that, you know, that awesomeness of beholding the extreme of a Kissinger idea um, or of how the future should be, the awesomeness, like dazzles those in power as being the perfect thing for them, um, because that will be what keeps them in power, being aligned with that structure keeps them in power. So it lends to the power hunger of the future to continue supporting a system that obviously doesn't work for for no, no even the majority of them most of them are coaxed on board this train and this train is now turning into outright globalism 
and that obviously started in the early 80s um i i say it started a long time before but that that's obviously like the the modern day globalism that we see now forming has been brazen since the early 80s mm. <laughs> um and and getting bigger and bigger and it used to be blocks it used to be european blocks and american blocks and soon it's going to get bigger how how likely do you think globalism is to succeed in the next 50 years it all very much depends upon what we do doesn't it i mean it i mean the whole the whole thing is predicated upon what we do i mean their their whole their whole uh propaganda machine is designed to control us we are you know and and then you know rolling out things like the vaccines it looks like it's uh designed to get rid of us you know mm-hmm. it all it all depends upon how we react if we carry on simply going along i mean one thing that i despair with i mean it was it was heartbreaking i was it you that i was talking to about this the other day um seeing you know the people kind of queuing up to to uh celebrate king what's his mm. face getting getting having his anointment ceremony what yeah. does he do behind what does he do behind that little screen eh? I don't know, does, he does he have to engage. bear his nipples or get on one knee i don't know i tried not to look at the screen (laughs) it was on in my house because i think i think really uh my housemate wanted there to be some sort of jihadi nonsense going on but (laughs) unfortunately he was was disappointed when it didn't i I think i think he was i think he was (laughs) he would have loved a bit of that but uh just 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 because it's uh it's you know it's all show and drama isn't it it's all show and drama. i mean it's just such a it's such a a a ridiculous spectacle i mean mm-hmm. I, I i didn't see it at the day but i you know i visited my mum the next day and she wanted to go through it again oh god <laughs> so, <laughs> i mean she had a she had her friends round and and you know they had a nice little tea party and they enjoyed yeah, the day yeah. and they love looking at all the dresses and the finery and everything this and is how they get that. it this is how they keep this is how yeah. they keep it but I, you know i was pointing out you know you know us at one point you know i said to me mum did you did you see the protests right so she goes no i didn't see any protests i said no exactly you didn't see any yeah. protests i said because because think about what the guy is doing the guy is and now i think we're at danger and i think one of the reasons why charlie's so unpopular and he's so obviously a weft spokesman and he's so obviously a hypocrite that and he's got all these links to people like savile and ball and and, and all that kind of stuff i do wonder if he's been put up to kind of wind the monarchy down because I think if you mm-hmm. look at, I mean, I know that they apparently they dropped the um, the the Bill of Rights Act that they wanted to put through. Someone was saying the other day, I, I haven't looked at that. I don't know whether they have or not. But they're already talking about this idea of qualified rights and all that kind of stuff. Now, I think one of the dangers that we've got is in getting rid of the monarchy. Now, right, let me put my cards on the table. I am not a royalist and I do not believe in the monarchy. I do not believe in any kind of that kind of hierarchical political structure. Mm. I don't believe in them. But nonetheless, there are aspects of the Constitution, which I would argue we do have a Constitution. A lot of people would disagree, but I would argue that we do. A written, codified Constitution. There are aspects, there are aspects of that which are embodied in our contract with the crown, which mm-hmm. is the coronation, which is which is verbalized in the coronation oath, which are worth thinking about before throwing them away. 
Mm. Even though, even though those, even though those aspects, like protecting our rights and customs, which he did swear to, actually in the oath, I was, I was pleased to see that he did. Mm -hmm. um, protecting our rights and customs means protecting our custom is the common law. That is, that is what that is referring to. One of our customs, but the primary one is the common law: innocent until proven guilty, trial by jury. Now, we are already seeing, for example, in Scotland now, they're making these moves to go to rape trials without a jury. Wow. Now, some, now I was listening to the BBC radio this morning, and there was a, 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 spokesman from the SM, a spokeswoman from the SNP who said something that I need to check out. But she, she said that at currently 80% of Scottish criminal trials are heard without a jury. 80 percent she said no wow. i found, I, I found no. that hard to believe that's so yeah that's so, i i mean this is this is our, our job though is we discover information that even after we've discovered it written it down for other people to look at repeating it still seems absurd yeah i mean i, I need to check that out i don't know whether that's true or not uh, no that I mean, she might have just made a mistake she was on a live interview she might have made a mistake but nonetheless she said 80 percent. so and i think that it is so important that we retain these basic principles which mm -hmm. enable us to function as a society. If we start getting rid of things like trial by jury, if we start adopting Napoleonic law instead of cutting, instead of which we've already done to a very great extent, <laughs> right? If we start doing that kind of stuff, then we are genuinely blindly walking into a totally different social structure than the one that we're accustomed to yeah. without giving it any thought at all. And I think, I think part of that, that, you know, obviously Charlie is very unpopular, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's unpopular, not even amongst royalists. He's unpopular. Most of them wanted William. They didn't want him. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, so he's unpopular. I, I suspect that this is going to be used as a way of winding down the monarchy, but in doing that, in, in doing that, using that, then going back to this thing that we were talking about earlier about people piggybacking on agendas, then using that unpopularity to actually wind down and reimagine the constitution. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that, and that constitution will fit in with the globalist sense of, you know, of, of where we're going. So this will all, yeah. this will all fit in with and be more closely aligned to European values, which is a completely different set of, of social and political norms. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that is likely to, and I would be very surprised if we don't start seeing that happen, probably not this year, because he's just been crowned, but maybe next year, the year after that will start building up. Yeah. I agree with you to a certain extent. And I probably have a little bit of a different vision of what I think he wants because personally, I think he wants to be known. He wants to be remembered. And that's always a dangerous thing, especially mm. for a guy who uh, he, you could look at it two ways. Either he he can wind down the monarchy just by slowly taking the foot off the gas for a while and taking a different um, uh, stance. I don't think that's Charlie personally. But or you can wind it down by going too far and pushing your boundaries as far as you can push them until there's obvious pushback that you don't care about because you're 
in a frame of mind where you're supposed to do this for this reason until the next ge- generation take over and then then it'll be slate wiped cleaned again and mm-hmm. with william you've got that slate wiped cleaned again uh feeling that is approaching so charles has in a sense his own can give himself a mandate in his brain to uh, um to do uh, big things to do really big things and to try and make a name for himself now if he fails he fails um but he doesn't think he can possibly fail at anything he does because i think he he does have this sense uh it's amazing sense of charles the first about him he has a yeah um, it's, it's it's a very it's very intriguing and i can't see him being much of a party animal though or was it charles the first was that charles the second who was the party animal uh, yeah charles the second might have been the party <laughs> animal to be honest. i think that's why he was more controllable he was yeah. an interesting guy himself they, he um I, I did some research into a family called the houston family who get given like uh land in ireland by elizabeth the second uh, Elizabeth the first sorry um uh and uh eventually um they fight against the uh british on the battlefield uh, one of the members of the family um and they have their land, some money confiscated from them something along those lines uh but charles the second forgives them he forgives them ever he's having one of his party days one day <laughs> and he he he's has to he don't care he's just forgiving people their debts because it doesn't matter anyway um yeah. <laughs> daddy died in a very bad way it could happen to me at any time now <laughs> better yeah. better give away all, all your stuff <laughs> yeah he was uh, he was a one but there was a, there was a, a great ch- i mean there was a change when William and Mary um, took the throne, took the throne in the UK. Suddenly there was that wind down already that I think maybe Charles leads to um, this, this uh, changing to being a more standard European uh, style of monarchy on the exterior but underneath they're actually more involved in politics than you can ever imagine they've got their well he, he is he is he has shown his willingness to get involved in politics you know throughout yeah. his life i mean the, the spider letters and all that kind of stuff i mean he he is has taken it upon himself to act in a way as a as a political leader Mm-hmm. As a he print. has no intention. He has no intention yeah. to uh, just just be a normal everyday Joe uh, King. Uh, he he wants to <laughs> he wants to rule. He wants to do something special. Yeah. And I think well, he's aligned himself. He's aligned well, himself. That's why he's aligned himself, isn't it, with the people that he's aligned himself with. Yeah. So his whatever his vision is of the future, which we pretty know is going to be, you know, sustainable development, central bank digital currency, mm. all all the stuff that we, we no, nobody wants. It, it, this is the stuff he's going to push. This is this is the stuff. If he wants to be make an impact as a king, and I suspect that he might well be right. And I'm, I'm just just saying that you know when I was talking about the monarchy being wound down, I didn't mean by him. I don't think for mm-hmm. any for any any second. I think it's going to wind down eventually. Whatever, and yeah, they all yeah. know that. They they just predict the future and they do it their way. They know that's what the end result's going to be. Whatever. Yeah. I, I just think it's important that we also understand what our constitutional position is, mm-hmm. because uh, because the crown, it, although it although it doesn't work, I'm not. 
don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, politicians take an oath of allegiance to the crown. Mm. They never actually observe it. You know, the, the, but but nonetheless, the mechanisms are there. Should we familiarise ourselves with them, perhaps a bit more than we have done up to date so far? The mechanisms are there by which we can rule, because yeah. in our in our constitution, the head of state isn't actually some bloke sitting on a throne. The head of state is the crown, which is a body, and the crown is has a contract with us. We allow the crown to exist. So yeah. if, if more people knew that, then they would realise their power and authority as individuals, as members of society, because actually we are the ultimate law in the land. The law of the land is the common law, mm -hmm. and we exercise the common law through trial by jury. So yeah. it's us. We're actually in charge. That's the truth of the matter. That's something that has been obfuscated from us, I would argue, for 800 years. So, yeah. so we, need to, we need to be familiarise ourselves with that. Now, I am not advocating. I am not advocating that, that we should, you know, therefore support the monarchy. Right. It's the, the people. I think there's there's a distinction to be made between our constitutional heritage and the monarchy they're mm -hmm. not they're not the same thing there are there is yeah. two different things there in, in my 1649 saint george's hill a ragged band they called the diggers came to show the people's will they defied the landlords they defied the laws it was a dispossessed reclaiming what was theirs reclaim. and i think that's that's what we need to do we need to reclaim what is ours and that is always a feeling that is on the 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 left and the right i i mean if you go back to what? Runnymede, Runnymede was not about establishing the 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 crown. It wasn't. It was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about establishing the common law. It was about reclaiming it. It already mm -hmm. existed. It's a European tradition. The common law. It came over from from Germany and France, and you know, in and in, it sticks. Know, it sticks for a reason. It sticks for a reason. Yeah, because it, it, it needs to be culturally significant to wherever it is at the time. Uh, yeah, okay. we we have the ability through it, something that people don't know. So so currently, if you go onto Parliament's website, Parliament says, it, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it is something like uh, Parliament is the supreme lawmaking body in the UK mm -hmm. or, in, or in Britain or whatever, however, however it's phrased. That's not true. That's not true. Juries have the power to annul legislation. We, we mm -hmm. just don't know it because we're not told that by judges. Judges don't tell the jury that. But every jury, you go back to uh, a case by uh, a Penn and, Penn and Mead, I think it was, uh, a, a jury trial where the defendant was found guilty of breaking the law, but the jury refused to find him guilty. They, the jury refused. The jury foreman, the whole jury was put then put in prison over the weekend. <laughs> they put the jury in prison. Right, to force we don't to... want to force you to make a, a decision, but we want you to think about your decisions. Yeah, so Penn, who was the foreman of the jury, he wouldn't allow this to happen. Penn then came back. They, they stuck to their guns, the jury. They came back and they said, no, we refuse to find this man guilty because the, the main purpose of guilt is mens rea which is which is a guilty mind somebody has to be shown to have willfully done something to harm somebody else 
not mm. made an act not you know there's there's negligence as well that's also a crime of criminal negligence but nonetheless someone has to have done something with the intent or with or through willful negligence to have caused harm to somebody else if you yep. don't think that no matter what the law says you can find somebody not guilty mm -hmm. you can say they're not guilty so even if they've technically broken the law, you can say they're not guilty. Now, if they've technically broken the law and the jury says they're not guilty, then the problem is the law, not the individual. So yeah. the law is an ass. So at that point, at that <laughs> point, you can annul the law. You can just mm -hmm. say the law doesn't work in the case of this person and others like this person. Therefore, yeah. the law itself needs to be reassessed juries have that power we can we the people can annul legislation so when the when the when the parliament says we are we are the supreme lawmaker in the land that is simply a lie it's not true mm -hmm. because we can annul it they can pass yeah. whatever legislation they like but in a jury trial if things operated in a constitutionally coherent way which they don't but if they did and this is the power of our constitution, we can annul that legislation and say, no, that law doesn't work. We don't like it. Get mm -hmm. rid of it. Yep. Yep. That's amazing uh, stuff that we're, uh, we, we the, the whole system is, is made in such a way that it has all of the possibility to change itself positively. Yeah. It, 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 it grasps onto the past and itself it struggles to advance forward and so instead mollycoddles itself um so that that when you go into something the only thing that can change it is the jury being awake that that small amount of people without that everything goes out the window because suddenly we're being tried by commission aren't we yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. In order for that to work, in order for that system to work, for jury systems to work as it was intended to work, and this goes back to the educational thing and the difference between between a classical education, perhaps, and between the kind of comprehensive education that perhaps more of us are familiar with, is that everybody needs to understand it. Everybody mm. needs to understand their their responsibilities as an adult. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is your duty... It is your duty under the Constitution. It is your duty to protect others around you, to cause no harm, to 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 take responsibility for decision making, because at any one time you could be called up to be a jury on a jury. So you, this is something that you have to be conscious of. You have to be actively engaged in the political process. That is demos, demos kratos, democratia. Mm -hmm. That is the power of the people where everybody, everybody is actively engaged in the process all the time, every day of their lives, because they at some point they may be asked to act as a juror and acting as a juror is a very solemn undertaking. So if, yeah. we, if we if we had that, if that was the ethos of our culture and our society, which it was, it was in before before Runnymede. It was, mm -hmm. then, then that would change everything. That would change it. We 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 wouldn't be sat here talking, having you know a lot much of the stuff that is being just fed to us from some distant kind of quango that is that is pouring all this stuff on onto us. We would be we would naturally be resistant to it. 
yeah. because it would it would be it would be antithetical to our understanding of our of, of our duty as adults mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we that that is something that is a mindset change so really i'm not just suggesting that suddenly we could flip a switch and reinstitute some sort of constitutional arrangement and everything would be hunky-dory but we have it within us as individuals to inform to inform ourselves be be aware of our, our responsibilities and duties and to act on them and we can but we but that needs to be done on a wide scale yeah 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 it, but i i i suggest the only thing that people should bear in mind is that if they keep their individual direction their individual wants their individual power then being part of a collective means you get the right decisions at the end of it if everybody involved mm -hmm. cares about the things that make them human and ground them and take their their decisions for the right reasons you should get to a better direction than we've been going this has uh, been a brilliant conversation you know ian <laughs> Thanks, no, thanks for it, having mate. it. Yeah, yeah. I, well, thanks for giving me uh, a good amount of your time. And we, uh, we had a little bit of chat beforehand as well. And I think this is not going to be the uh, last time. Um, I, I, I know officially I owe you one. I owe you one. Let oh, well, no, no, I, I owe you. No, no, come on, come on. That's it. You I'm going to have to do podcasts now because you, because <laughs> I, I need to reciprocate the favor. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you could find a lot of people who would be happy to talk to you on a podcast. I think you'd be, uh, you'd be a good podcast host. So, so do that. Where can people find you? What are you doing? What's going on in the world? <laughs> I haven't got a clue, mate, to be honest. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's my problem. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out. I don't understand any of it. Um, I yeah, you can find me at iandavis.com. That's my website. It's, it's spelled i a i n davis.com. Um, yeah, yeah, proper way. Uh, not the weird way as some people say. <laughs> That's how you yeah. spell it. That's the yeah. Um, yeah, down this way it gets to ayown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you try spelling that, I can promise you, it's harder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Also, I'm, as you said earlier, I'm very fortunate to write for Unlimited Hangout for Geopolitics and Empire and UK Column. My work is also syndicated quite widely on other sites like Off Guardian. Uh, Off Guardian currently, uh, you know, they're one of the most censored sites on uh, in Britain, I would suggest, especially if you look at it from from Twitter. And they deserve support because they're, they're a kind of very good uh, repository Agreed. for lots, lots of different writers on lots of different yeah. subjects. So they're, that, that's a really good site. Um, yeah. And uh, check me out. I'm currently writing my third book. Um, that's going to be about the Ukraine situation, uh, a mm -hmm. multipolarity. So um, I say I'm currently writing it. Um, I've got no idea how long it's going to take because what I'm not going to do is, uh, is, um, is stop doing the other the other projects that I'm doing as well. So I'm going to try and do both. I'm not quite sure how that's panning out at the moment. I seem to be running around like a headless chicken at the moment. But <laughs> mm -hmm. you might but, be interested in something uh, I'm I'm writing at the moment. That's going to be uh, with a with a wonderful guy who I've. Uh, he's a young. He's he's about twenty years old. He's got the mind of a. A, a much older 20 years 20 years on in mentally and he's just fantastic but we've been looking into ukraine a bit and the rise of it i would be really interested to uh pick your mind on that too at some point go on sorry uh so no so no Ian, that's it mate yeah that's it well if, thank you 
for coming on and speaking thank to me. You. And um, thank you for being on News Press. Goodbye.